0: Welcome to this week's edition of Editing Aloud. Um, but this was the week that Cyril Ramaphosa was uh, elected, elected and, and inaugurated as his. Well, I suppose he's getting inaugurated this weekend. Uh, but Parliament picked him as the first president. Um, it's been an interesting week, partly because there are a number of people who we expected to be on the uh, on the list of ANC MPs who are not going to be doing it. Um, and that's really interesting because two of two of those names, Nomvula Mokanyani and Malusi Gigaba, one of our panelists tonight, um, Sekanati when Chancha said that he would eat humble pie if that ever would have happened, and, and yet now Sekharnati, they, they, they are not on the list. They've been excluded. What, what happened? I mean, how did you get it so
1: wrong? Uh, first, I think I should get my pie and deliver on the promise. <laughs> uh, indeed, uh, they... Uh, thank you, Cindy. Uh, I, 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 indeed, uh, the, the people have, have opted out of parliament, uh, but now I have a pie to eat. Malusi Kigawa is not going to be in cabinet. Uh, come come, the next uh, government, starting on Sunday. Namvula uh, Mukonyane says family issues are holding her back. Of course, she is in the traditional mourning period of a year uh, wearing a black uh, garb, and sh- she should not be in the public domain. But that is not the reason she is not going into government. The Integrity Committee of the ANC has found her to have violated The the, the, the ANC's ethics and codes, of course, you would be surprised the ANC does have such things. And David Mabuza uh, is also uh, the the, the deputy president. He's also staying out a bit. He said postponement. Malusuki Gaba withdrew. Well, Malusuki Gaba withdrew his name from parliament. So he's not participating. And I said they would be in cabinet. It seems uh, Cyril so far has
2: won one battle.
0: So... I mean, Toby well, Shapshak, you, you're new to this. New to this, and, and journalists admitting their mistakes is, is a novel thing in the first place. Well, case, there
2: are two things I want to pick up on there. Firstly, why is it always humble pie? Why can't you eat humble steak? You know. Uh, firstly, so if you're going to it have to eat it's still my it. turn to eat. Yes, whether yes, it's, it's a pie it's or not, it's your turn to eat. Even though you're not in <laughs> Parliament. Uh, I, I mean, look at just how far we have fallen. That three out of the hundreds of implicated people, including cabinet ministers, have suddenly found some ethical backbone and withdrawn their names. Just three people. I mean, they're pretty senior people, right? But we are so backbone, we mean, are so excited that three people have suddenly discovered ethics and morals. You know, in in so the if UK, they if have you, not discovered ethics and morals. They have just. Bowed to pressure. Exactly. Well, that's a better way of putting. It. I mean, uh, the other thing I was going to say is the ANC has an ethics committee. I don't, it's hard to tell because they ha- keep peddling this line that is, you're innocent until proven guilty. Sure, but there's there's something with the rule of law, and there's a, there's a, there's a, a different kind of set of values. If you are a public figure, and certainly a politician, and there's any. Uh, idea of you having no ethics or have done something dishonorable or unethical, it is incumbent on you in a senior position in society to say, I should step back. I mean, look at the UK, for instance. I mean, there are many things about, about Brexit done that we don't want to imitate, but certainly when a cabinet minister or a public figure does something unethical or their sex tape gets leaked... Um, you know, you, not you, st- themselves. Themselves. you themselves. step down because, because it is the right thing to do. If you're a public figure and you get caught into, in some kind of, of moral dilemma, you behave the right way, which is not to say a court of law has not found me guilty. I've got news I, don't, for I, don't, I, I kind of think uh, a, a greet, being a greet seat at the Zonder Commission, endlessly by, uh, you know, someone who says they personally saw you take money, that's kind of enough for you to find a moral backbone of your own or an ethical backbone and say, I should not be in a high position of power. But that, that's how far the ANC I've has got, fallen. I've got some news for you. Yes. The, deputy,
1: the new deputy speaker of the Guazulu-Natal Provincial Assembly, Implicated Lake, in in murder. In Dobe, mm. Not only implicated, has been charged with murder of Cindy Somakaka, a fellow ANC member. Zanele, what's her name, in Devon, the mayor, has been charged for theft and corruption. She sits tightly as the mayor. Uh, of course, this, this, the ANC School of Ethics you are talking about, it must be headed by one Ace Mahashule. Uh, I, I don't know how it works, but you wouldn't think the
2: ANC... Careful,
0: there might be more humble pie for you later.
2: Uh, I, well, in between I thought, I thought, my... my, my I, thought uh, the, I thought the ethical uh, division was headed by Carl Niehaus.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Warren, awesome. what I wanted to ask about is David Mabuza. He was the deputy president um, until now, and yet he's not... Wasn't sworn in. He asked for a postponement, and in his case too, it's the integrity commission. I mean, what's the story there? I mean, how how serious do you think that is for him? Is he planning to come back later, or what well, will of happen? Of course,
3: so he didn't. He didn't uh, do the deal of the century in December 2017 just to uh, quietly slip away. <clears throat> we think that he could be playing the long game by agreeing to undergo some sort of process with the integrity commission that would ultimately lead to him being. Uh, uh, Declared uh, I- integrity to have integrity and uh, being able to resume his position. He couldn't even probably find what word he could integrity. do <laughs> exactly, uh, and what he could do in the interim, however long that takes, is he starts moving uh, his power base from the small provincial power base that he had <coughs> in Mpumalanga to perhaps starting to generate uh, and build the platform for what will be his ascension to the presidency. So. He remains the deputy. He could remain the deputy president while he undergoes that integrity commission. That's one of the battles that will be uh, that's being fought. Given the news that we've heard about uh, other candidates for the deputy president being uh, Lindiwe Susulu and Lady Pendo, but he's definitely very much in it to win it. And hmm. uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he's going to navigate that integrity commission. And that's why I'm very interested to understand more about how that integrity commission operates and whether. Cyril Ramaphosa's got some uh, candidates and levers that he can pull there to engineer outcomes if he needs to.
0: Sikhanati, I mean, I, I think, you know, we can talk about the negatives and the, and the cynical approach to having done this, but I think it's a good sign ahead of the cabinet appointments on the weekend after Cyril's inaugurates on, on Saturday. What does this tell us about what the cabinet will look like um, on Sunday? I mean, is, does it indicate that, the, you know, the, the people who are potentially tired will not be in it the, at all? The,
1: the, the one thing that the cabinet, and this is a great positive, Malusi will definitely not be in cabinet. Nomvula Mukonyane will not be in cabinet. Chicken prize and all of that. Uh, uh, David Mabuza is still out because the constitution does not uh, give Ramaphosa or the president a, a limit, a, a deadline as to when to make the appointment. So uh, once he cleans himself up, Mabuza he then can can go back to parliament in a week's time. So it's, it's wide open. We don't know who's going to be in cabinet, but we definitely do know that those two are not going to be in cabinet, and that's a great deal itself. Mm. Gwede Mantasha is definitely going to be in cabinet. In what portfolio? It's all speculation at this point. We don't know.
0: The mining, that, that, the mining sector wants him to be in cabinet. The, the mining sector stay.
1: really wants him to be in cabinet because, you know, there could also always be one Musabin Zizwani if, if they don't have uh, Gwede in there.
0: Toby, in terms of the Deputy President, there's talk of, of course, Azana Glomini-Zuma being elected to that role. And she, she did certainly sully her image by her alliance with Zuma, or her putative relationship with Zuma, certainly. But in terms of this, she was pretty good in her job at Home Affairs, right, for a couple of years.
2: Sure. I mean, she's, she's, she's been away from the, 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 the cut and thrust of South African politics, certainly for the last five years, of her former husband's truly disastrous rain uh, that has really destroyed our economy. But, you know, there was a very interesting piece that emerged just as she was leaving the African Union, written by a Nigerian journalist, and it was incredibly scathing and cutting. Um, And it basically said she did absolutely nothing. While she was there, she... Uh, presided over ceremonies for pointless things, and this this article was very, very controversial when it emerged that I read up about the writer he really knows what he 's talking about, and it was interesting to have another perspective if a South African had written that article, they would have been accused of all sorts of defeatism. you know the great Stalin uh, crime was to be a defeatist um, when basically you were telling the truth so that's quite interesting because there are lots of other observers, non-South African observers, who have had a lot of bad things to say about her term at the at the U, at the, the African Union. So we don't know. I mean, it does seem deeply problematic, given the, the convoluted history with her former husband. I mean, when you get divorced, you're no longer responsible for the debts or, and sins of someone else. But... I would love to see someone like Naledi Pandor. She's a, you know, she has distinguished herself over the years. A few, bloods, uh, you know, black spots here and there, but she, but she has no power base. She, well, I she think. has no power base, but you know, she she's good at what she does, you know. And, and for once, wouldn't it be wonderful if we appointed someone into a position of power because they were competent, not because people in, in in their home province, you know, thought she deserved a job. I mean, look at someone like Battabila Dlamini, beyond incompetent, found by the, the Constitutional Court to have lied, to have been obstructionistic. I mean, I watched those poor judges wriggle. They just didn't want to be the ones to say she's incompetent and she's a liar and she sounds like she's drunk all the time whenever she speaks in public. But because she's the president of the of the Women's League, she has all of this this power by association, and yet she has done more to damage the lives of 17 million deeply uh, impoverished, deeply uh, um, unprotected people whose livelihoods, whose lives, Mm lives depended on these social grants, and yet she did everything in her power to make sure that a foreign company got as much money out of the country as they possibly could. She has gone out of her way to use a company that the Constitutional Court found the contract was invalid to, to the point where judges were calling her like like a school kid in front of the class, saying, come on, we told you a year ago, we told you three years ago this contract was invalid, and it still had to get extended for another year. Now, now that is unethical and probably illegal. She's been found by the highest court in the land to be a liar. How on earth can this person be a cabinet minister? How can they be an MP? Why is the ANC allowing someone so deeply flawed and exposed to be back in their their top ranks?
0: Sekunati ate humble pie for suggesting that Malusi Gagaba and Nobulu Mokunyani would definitely be going back to parliament. In the second half, we talk about um, Sasol and corporate news, and that's that's a company in which uh, I read Secondati once saying that, you know, at least the difference between the private sector and the public sector is the private sector gets things done on time and at the right cost. Secondati, in this case, it hasn't happened. Sassel has to missed feed their me targets.
1: Sassel <laughs> <laughs> so, has now uh, again uh, its project is now costing it 45%. Lake Charles, percent. right, it's Louisiana, Lake Charles in Louisiana, in the United States of America. It's now. Uh, costing them forty five percent more than uh, budgeted, uh, and and of course now l- l- let's get this right. It's ninety six percent built, ninety six percent complete, at forty five percent higher, at at about twelve point nine billion U S dollars. Twelve
0: point nine billion. And the initial estimate was what? It was eight point nine. It right? was
1: eight point nine. Uh, definitely, they didn't get this one right, and and and. Investors and some uh, analysts correctly are, are saying this is an abuse of, of taxpayers' money, uh, of investors' money, and, and someone should, should carry the can for it. Uh, Sasol, of course, is trying to spin this whole thing. But let's compare it to the public sector. My favorite example, Eskom. Midupi, in 2007, at, at the start, the budget was 70 billion rand. Today, at 90% built, uh, 140 billion rand has been spent and another 9 billion rand has to be spent again to to, to actually fix the defects. Uh, far from finished, so that has doubled uh, you could say the same about Kusile, yes this is out and it's uh, someone at Sassol has to suffer. They said they have initiated an investigation as to why they never foresaw these, uh, the, the, this inflation of cost. Uh, and the share price of course, is down 13% at this point.
0: So Warren, I mean, it's well, very well, it's important for, for, for companies to do what they say and to follow through and not, you've covered Starnov quite a lot. I mean, the importance of a company promising something and delivering that's fundamental to investor integrity and the investor belief in the company, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And as Patrice Moyal pointed out to us yesterday, Sassol, to put the scale of Lake Charles into context, Sassol have invested the equivalent of 75% of their market capitalization in this one single project. It's been billed as the, the game changer for the company because it uh, puts a base of production in the United States, a very... Uh, so-called first-world economy with access to uh, very large markets internally in the United States. Um, but to draw on the ESKIM comparison in the public sector, yes, there has been a massive increase, but it, the project will still remain profitable at current prices. And um, of course, SASOL competes in a, in a fairly um, open market with other competitors, whereas ESKIM has enjoyed the benefit of being a monopoly. Um, so, that's obviously a very fundamental difference. The main point I think that comes out of Sassel's Lake Charles venture thus far is that management had given an undertaking that after that first increase, they'd got a good grip on their governance, they'd got a good grip on the factors, uh, the, the, the various elements in the, in the costs, and that they had a good handle that applied a very conservative estimate to that initial increase which would mean that they were going to now deliver it at I think about 11 or 12 billion Mm dollars. As Sikhanati's pointed out, they've got 4% of the project to go and they're increasing the cost by a billion dollars. So shareholders are purple, they're incandescent with with anger given the undertakings the company has given. And the the other factor that's really irked shareholders is that executive remuneration Um, and consequences for this cost overrun have not been tied into uh, executive pay. And that's gonna be a big factor at the AGM uh, going forward because shareholders want executives to feel the pain of first of all, undertaking something and not delivering it and then coming back with a ridiculous blowout on costs this close to the completion of the project.
0: As investors should be angry about that. I mean, accountability is crucial in this kind of context. So Toby, to talk about another issue in the corporate sector talking about accountability again, WhatsApp, um, yeah. I think it's fascinating. They have, what is it, a billion users in the world? One what and actually, a half
2: billion users.
0: What happened? I mean, they've been spying well, on people.
2: W- well, here's what happened. Uh, the Financial Times broke the story where uh, an Israeli company called NSO had worked out an, ex- and it's called an exploit or a vulnerability or a hack of WhatsApp where they could make a missed call. And that was enough to drop a payload of software onto a smartphone, Android phone, I imagine, or uh, anything using WhatsApp, and therefore have access to all of the data on your phone. It's mind-boggling. I mean, this is this so is it's just one missed
0: call. One missed call. Computer. You don't
2: even have to answer it, and in comes that data. So now that that WhatsApp owned by. Facebook, which is a massive company that, that, that stores and communic- uh, allows so many people, 2.2, 2.3 billion people around the world to communicate just on Facebook, had such a major flaw in its software is mind-boggling. I mean, it makes SASL and Escom and everything else look a- kind of pale given the numbers of people who use it. It means that just about anybody's phone could have been compromised and you would never know. You know, maybe that's do what we do Do you still
3: use uh, WhatsApp? I, I have it? been trying Telegram and Signal and these I, other. Yeah, ones. I've
2: been trying since the beginning of year to get everybody to move to these other platforms. There's just uh, a are level they of be resistance. Any better, though? Yes, they, I mean they certainly they certainly have. They're more agile and they're much better. The most secure one that that everybody uses is Signal. Uh, Signal is by far the most secure of the systems. In fact, WhatsApp uses Signal's end-to-end encryption for its for its. Encryption, But what it just means is it's yet another example of how dangerous this digital world we live in. And people, people have no sense of the fears and dangers around that. I, I analogize How many people
0: it. were actually compromised? How many people? They don't
2: know. And it, and it looks, the Guardian was reporting that it was a, was a, a human rights lawyer in London who was, who was trying to sue this Israeli company about uh, about the breaches that have happened to Mexican journalists and other organizations. So, so we don't know, and we probably never will know. Facebook very quickly patched the vulnerability, but the fact that it's there was is is mind boggling. You know, just this week, um, the former security chief of Facebook, Alex Stamos, said that Mark Zuckerberg is not the man to lead Facebook. Well, patently so. You know, Mm -hmm. Mark Zuckerberg has presided over some of the greatest. Uh, exploits of, of privacy in the world, 87 million people's data uh, scooped up by Cambridge Analytica, tens of, of, of millions of people's passwords stored in a in an unencrypted plain text way for years that 20,000 people working at Facebook could have had access to. You know, in any other company where there is a, a, share, a shareholder that can do something about it, he has resisted this change because The way he structured Facebook, he has sixty percent of the voting block of shares of Facebook. Therefore, he is pretty much untouchable. Uh, Stamos, uh, the former security chief, and by the way, since he left, they haven't replaced anyone of that stature. There is no security chief uh, overall for Facebook. He's saying very clearly, (laughs) yes, yeah, he's saying that that uh, Microsoft's general counsel, Brad Smith. (laughs) Uh, Smith should be a, uh, would be a good person to run Facebook. The bottom line is what we're talking about across all of these different sectors, public, private, social networking, sasol uh, Escom, is that there is no accountability and there's no ethical rule book that people follow. If you behave badly and you do things badly, you should resign. Look how much effort it took the CEO of Uber to step down, mm-hmm. the co-founder. I mean, he did some pretty... Dastardly things. There's many reasons, and and yet, you know, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg keeps going up. There are lots of people who write articles about how many times he's apologised and taken responsibility, and how many times that responsibility or that lack of governance has meant absolutely nothing, because all Facebook does is continue to do what it did before, uh, except telling us they're going to be more private and more secure. That's the big push for this year: more secure mm. messaging. Well. We've just discovered that a missed phone call would be enough to compromise everything on your phone.
0: Sekhanati, why, why is there no consequence? I mean, surely the notion of the market would punish a company like this, would make sure that the customers left them. Why does this never happen?
1: Well, unlike, unlike Sasso, again, uh, Facebook and WhatsApp are a monopoly, uh, almost... Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, Zuckerberg, uh, that artificial holding of 60 percent protects mm. him from everything. Uh, un- uh, unlike other companies like Cecil, uh, investors can deliver their judgment immediately, uh, and and, and, and the, the management there has to suffer. Facebook, it's my little fifth term and I will nest it until we get it right.
0: There's something else that happened this week involving the tech sector, which I think is pretty interesting. <laughs> Huawei, I hope I'm saying correctly. Um, Trump in the US, Donald Trump has now said that he's going to essentially enforce a series of sanctions on them, um, which could lead to Google then not being interoperable with Huawei phones. Um, Toby, what does that mean? I mean, is it, it's, it's obviously another salvo in the trade war, but does, is, it, is it such that the Americans can now destroy
2: the Huawei brand, the Huawei business? Well, well it's, the, the, the implications are much larger. Remember, there are two issues here. There's the trade war between. The White House in Beijing, and there's, the, you know, Huawei's found itself in the middle of that. But also, they are quite clearly the leaders in this new 5G technology, the fifth generation of cell phone networks. The data speeds will be fast. So, is it a commercial rather than a political Well, one. there are two things going on, and they've all kind of come together around this thing. So, uh, lots of commentators say Huawei is so far ahead of the competition that there's no way to catch up to them. Uh, people who are worried about uh, spying and 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 eavesdropping and and having backdoors in the software, the American security uh, establishment they worry that Huawei might have uh, that kind of access, and therefore they don't want them in their equipment. But what's happened is that the, the the U.S. Commerce Department has put Huawei in what's called an entities list, and if you're on an entities list, the companies on that, American firms have to get a license to deal with them. What that's meant is that immediately every American firm that deals with Huawei is looking at suspending operations. The first up was Google, and the consequences of that are particularly huge. But what the reverse has happened is that uh, one of the the Huawei board members wrote in the New York Times that Huawei spends $11 billion a year with American companies. The consequences for the global supply chain, the, the processor from America, the screens from South Korea, the other parts of the chips are from Germany or wherever, suddenly you're not just talking about one Chinese company being punished. You're talking about companies all around the world. The knock-on effect of, of the interconnectedness of global capitalism means that lots of jobs will be lost in America, lots of consequences elsewhere. The, the, the problem is you're not just talking about one company in one country. You're talking about a supply chain all over the world. And that's the problem. Within within days of, of – within Google said on Sunday they would suspend – dealing with Huawei. And the next day the, the, the Commerce Department said, okay, hang on, we're going to suspend this requirement for 90 days. But the damage is already done. And and this is the world we now live in. You can't, you can't pick one company in one country and say, I'm going to punish you to show everybody else that I mean business about the trade war. W- w- what you have is lots of people in lots of problems. I know you've got networks in England saying they're not going to do it. You've got Equipment uh, processor companies in England, ARM, the ARM make the, the architecture. All cell phone chips and cell phones are based on. Suddenly, you have a global conflict. You know, it's not just the South African rand being hammered by this this U.S.-China trade war. It's everybody.
0: Wow, I suppose that's the danger of using political power to settle commercial scores. Um, guys, thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back next week with more analysis on. So Rome um, opposes cabinet decisions for one thing, as well as what's happening in the world of business. Thanks a lot.